Hey friends, Scott Sullivan here, Discipleship Catalyst, Georgia Baptist Mission Board. And uh, again, our team exists to strengthen churches by resourcing, inspiring, and creating disciple makers. We appreciate you coming on viewing this video. Today, we've got our guest, Mr. Buck Birch, uh, one of the smartest guys that I know, just a blessing on our, um, on our Catalyst team. Buck, you're the missions catalyst here at the board and just got your hands on all sorts of things. We are glad that you are joining us, buddy. Thank you. It's good to be here with you. Yeah. Well, let's jump into our first question, man. Um, there, there's a discussion that you and I have had before. And one of the things that we talked about is how we hear of things that are happening, you know, overseas and other countries, these disciple making movements. And uh, I was asked recently this question that discipleship, or disciple making seems to be more successful in other countries than in America. Man, I, when I was when I asked that question, I got to thinking. Okay, I am hearing, you know, some incredible things, some inspiring things that are happening overseas. I also have, you know, a finger on the pulse of what's happening, particularly here in Georgia where we serve, but also in America. And then you look at the overall, and you you kind of wonder, man, that may be a great question. So just your thoughts. Let me throw that out to you. Do you agree or disagree with that? I know you served in, in Russia and different places abroad, so you have a lot of experience. What would you say to that statement or question? Well, I mean, coming from the perspective of being a missionary in Russia, um, I think every individual country faces its discipleship process based on its own experiences. Uh, in Russia, for example, they were living under 70 years of communism prior to 1991, and that directly impacted the way they did and the way they do their discipleship. I wouldn't necessarily say that they even call it discipleship. For them, it's a way of life. Um, when a person becomes a believer and follower of Jesus Christ, there is an, an accountability and an expectation of immediate obedience uh, that opens their life up to the accountability of the local church. There are mentors that are placed in their lives, but then there's a a lifelong process through which they begin to walk uh, to determine whether or not they're truly saved. Um, it's not a matter of, yeah, you got to prove your salvation, even though they in Russia are a little bit more Armenian in their theology. Uh, and, but yet there is the element of, if you are a believer, then you're going to, you're going to be able to prove it with your lifestyle. Some of that was a carryover from infiltration uh, by KGB agents that would come into the church uh, during the, the years when that was outlawed in order to, to expose them and, and to persecute them. Um, so they were very serious about uh, you following Christ. You're going you're gonna to be uh, living a life that would be a, a life that reflects the gospel, a life that reflects following the commands of Christ. Now, that's Russia. There's always uh, lots of other uh, places around the world. Recently, I was in Peru and had a chance to talk to their leadership about their discipleship process. It's also different. It's different from Russia. It's different from America. Um, and I would even say syncretistically, uh, they have mixed a lot of, 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 of folk religion uh, along with Catholicism, along with uh, Protestantism in their discipleship process. And that has resulted in many South American countries in, in, in a very weak level of discipleship there. Uh, not so much that you would compare it with America and say, oh, it's, it's weak because, you know, you don't have co commitment. It's weak in the area of, uh, of an understanding of what 
the truth is and what the truth of the gospel and what that what the impact of the 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 the, the commands of Christ are in a, in the life of a believer. That's good stuff. You know, and one of the things that I think is interesting about that book is because you mentioned a couple of things. One is that you were in Peru and they did things a little bit different that was happening in Russia. So, so people are chewing on this. They're trying to figure out better pathways. What can we do that will increase our effectiveness? Because we know that we've got the commission to go and make disciples or what I like to say, make disciple makers, which emphasizes the reproduction part of that. And, and what we want to create is a disciple making movement, you know, not just, where we're talking about it or we say, oh, well, this is important or we segregate it out, but that we are having churches understand that we need a movement that's in a church that creates these movements, these waves where this ripple effect becomes a worldwide. I love with one of the um, organizations that uh, does disciple making at a really high level, um, just find it as this way. He said, the disciple making movement is at least a hundred new churches that have multiplied to the fourth generation. So it's a pretty, you know, they look at disciple-making movements, and it's a pretty strict format there. Um, let, me, let me bounce to a second question here. Um, when you think about what's happening in, in America, you know, in, in our lifetime, in the last 40, 30, 40, 50 years, would you say that in America that we see discipleship as more programmatic than what, what you're seeing overseas? That's a good question. Uh, you know, Scott, when I think of what we in America, um, what, 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 what taints or what defines our perspective for discipleship, I think every single uh, nation or people group have a tendency to look at that based on their, their current government uh, structure. I mean, we, we base a lot of our discipleship on a congregational polity. Uh, we, we have a tendency to look at discipleship as part of what's done in the community of believers, but it's not the same way as a, as a country that is, is led by a monarchy or, or led by a, a, a select group of people. In those cases, it may be more Episcopal or it, it may be more Presbyterian in, in their approach. But when you take Western versus Eastern and you just clearly define the, the mindset for discipleship, Yes, we have a tendency to be a little bit more programmatic, um, quite frankly, because we are task-oriented in our thinking. We have a tendency to think if you can do uh, steps one, two, and three, then you should get the certificate and now you're a disciple. Whereas in other countries, they're a little bit more relational. Uh, you, you approach them with, with a logic of steps one, two, and three, they will not understand why you're coming at that and, and, and will view that program as almost being an insult to the, to the gospel's uh, outworking in their lives. We in America or in the Western world have a tendency to look at things a little bit more linearly. Uh, we, we, we say, you know, A leads to B, which leads to C. Whereas in non-Western countries, it's a little bit more non-linear, cyclical, uh, I don't want to say circular reasoning, but, but it is a little bit of that, where in conversations and even in discipleship processes, there'll be a little bit of this, which leads me to think about this, which leads me to think about this. Oh, that reminds me. Let me come back to this. And so um, when, when we compare what's going on in other parts of the world with what's going on in America, we have to take into consideration the fact that our, our polity our secular polity and our ecclesiology, 
drastically impact the way we view discipleship and our Western versus Eastern ways of thinking drastically have an influence on the way we view discipleship. That's strong. One of the things you mentioned was the relational aspect of that. I mean, I so identify with that book because in, in my lifetime, I've grown up in incredible church. I've just been blessed been able to have some great pastors and people who really loved me. But the real, really the system that I grew up in that I see so much in the Baptist church across America is that programmatic approach to where we are. We have, we have tended to think that we are making disciples because we are taking them through Sunday school, right? So if you grew up in Sunday school, we're assuming you're going to be discipled. Um, one of the things that I love is the relational aspect that's being talked about that we see a lot overseas that you mentioned um, and this idea of, the, of mentors, you know, that we are attaching people to a person that are walking a pathway together where you can ask questions, you know, the uh, uh, kind of the Star Wars approach with, the, you know, the master and the apprentice and they're walking along. I mean, I love that approach, but, but I'll be honest with you, Buck, for a guy like me, of course, now that I've been through all of these different levels of training and, I, and I'm interacting with churches all over the world, I see it differently. I teach it differently. But man, there's a lot of people who didn't grow up that way. And I would say most of our churches here in Georgia, the relational aspect of doing life with them outside of that 45 minute window on Sunday morning is not how they do it. Do you, do you see a similar thing? I do. I mean, I, part of what you're saying makes me kind of want to do something in a Yoda voice, you know, a disciple you will be because there is a little bit of that the relational aspect of I'm going to take my life and I want to pour my life into you, but there's an expectation that if I do that, you're going to pour it into someone else. And I think, honestly, Scott, that's where Paul uh, really brings us some clarity in 2 Timothy uh, 2, 2, where he, he talks about the things that you've heard from me. I want you to find some faithful guys who will be able to pass that on to others also. That's good stuff. Hey, let's go to a third question here. Uh, you and I were talking about Paul and the New Testament, and, uh, and you, you made a statement to me over lunch a couple of weeks back. You said, you know what? What we what we see in Paul, what he did in the New Testament, wouldn't even be considered missions by our current definition. Man, that just really struck me. Tell tell me what you're talking about when you make that statement. Well, I, we love our cookie cutter approaches to everything. Our pastors have to fit in a certain mold. Church has to fit in a certain mold. Uh, everything needs to to be a, a certain way, or we can't call it what it is. And, uh, and, and I find that when Paul was involved in his missionary journeys, if you want to use those terms, I, I actually like the, the term terms. When he was on his first term, uh, Paul was out there planting churches, doing a little bit of evangelism and, and, and encouraging some guys. But by the time he gets to his second term, uh, he's not really doing church planting. He's doing church strengthening. He's doing a lot of discipleship, and he's encouraging churches to, to get their structures right even sending some guys back to pick up some of the things that he had left undone. But by the time he gets to his third term, he pours himself into 12 guys in leadership training. That was his strategy. He finds a region that's in terrible need of the gospel, and he realizes if I can just take these 12 guys in the school of Tyrannus and for two years pour myself into them, the Bible says that everyone in that entire region heard the gospel as a result of Paul's discipleship through leadership development. By the time he gets to his fourth term, 
he's involved in in politics, brother. I mean, he has Dr. Luke writing two volumes, Luke and, and the book of Acts, in order to give a defense of Christianity as he tries to get to Rome. So in our cookie cutter approach today, uh, a lot of times people will look at it and say, oh, it's not missions unless we take a trip and actually do a particular activity that results in a certain number of people saved or a certain, uh, certain kind of group that's formed thereafter. If that's the case, much of what Paul did does not fit into the term of missions. And here's where I push back. Missions is the outreach arm of the church to start new work that doesn't necessarily revolve around what comes back to us, but what God uses us to do to start something new. And that's where I just say, we got to get a little more broad in our understanding of missions to allow the discipleship aspect. When Jesus said, go and make disciples of all ethnicities, he was talking about a lot more than just going, taking a trip, winning a few people to Jesus and coming back with a t-shirt. I love it. You know, one thing you and I and Levi have talked about, Levi Skipper being our um, evangelism catalyst and now actually our uh, strategist for the church strengthening, we've talked about you know, how important it is to have missions, to have discipleship, to have evangelism, but we can't separate those. You know, we can't allow those to live on islands as if they don't interact and as if they don't mesh because what you do in missions is only strengthening what we're trying to do in discipleship and vice versa. And then you bring in evangelism and that's just a great thought, but I'll tell you the truth, but I think a lot of our churches don't think that way. Right. I think it's, I think it's separated out. It's uh, is out on an island and those things are, operating differently. Well, there's some things that we can learn. Um, and that's really what really prompted my heart to try and contact you and, uh, and try to get on here with a panel discussion, because I think there's some things that we can learn from what is happening overseas. And that discussion, we're continuing to have that with those folks. So, so we talked about um, the success of disciple making movements that's happening across other countries. And, um, and I read a, a quote, a stat the other day from Todd Wilson Exponential Conference that said that they did a study and about 4%, 4% of U.S. churches are reproducing. Mm -hmm. And when you think about that and how it is the command, it is the thing that the church has got to be doing is raising up disciple makers and multiplying that out. And only 4% of our U.S. churches are doing that. We're behind the curve. We've got a lot of work to do. So how would you answer that? What are some things that we can learn from a guy who's been overseas, who's seen it, who's been involved in it, that we could learn from those successful disciple-making movements? All right, so I'll use two word pictures here. One is Six Flags, and then the other is the church that Paul Young Cho uh, has created over in South Korea. With Six Flags, I, I love going and visiting. Um, it's a great little place to take youth, especially, and, and enjoy the rides, you, you know, whatever you're into. But you go, you visit, you, you celebrate, and you come home. And honestly, that's the way we've kind of created our discipleship <laughs> process in church day. It's Six Flags over Jesus. You come on a Sunday, you get what you get, and you go home at the end of the day. The difference between that and what's really working, uh, especially in churches overseas where discipleship is, is, is taking deep root, is that number one, there is a level of accountability and an expectation of obedience that is much stronger uh, than, than, than what we see in, in American uh, experience. Secondly, I would say that there's a holistic approach to discipleship as a way of life. Uh, it's not a place that you just come and visit and you go home. It is you're taking discipleship with you 24-7, no matter where you are. 
So to use the the uh, the, the the example of Paul Yungi Cho in, in in South Korea, they there's a church right now. It's one of the largest churches in the world, 830,000 members. But here's the deal: you don't just join; you actually are signing up for a covenant community where whatever the pastor has preached on a Sunday gets put into small group, which gets transferred over to, if you're part of a small group, you're going to pass that on and you're going to have your own small group. And you're not just going to be a follower. You're going to be a leader. And all of that to say, I think what's missing in our DNA of American church is a missional aspect of your discipleship where if God saved you, your calling is to go and then make other disciples who will make disciples. It's a way of life. It is an expectation of obedience. And, and I guess that's where we come in, uh, in the area of church strengthening with our missions guys. One of the things we're trying to do is help our churches transition their DNA from what has been a come and see, uh, a, a celebration of six flags over Jesus to a way of life that impacts the very, least of all of our members, those members who think, well, there's nothing I can do. Oh yeah, there is. If Jesus saved you, then he has made you not only a follower, he's made you a leader. Mm, well, that's solid, Buck. And I tell you, if our churches can catch that vision, that it's not about just coming to a program or, or checking a box that I went to church today, but that it is a lifestyle and that I'm giving my life to it. I mean, that's just a different look than the way a lot of us are thinking. Listen, folks, if you're viewing today, I want you to leave a chat in the comment box there. Uh, we want to know that you're here. And as always, we, uh, we're, we'll pick a name. We, we send out some uh, giveaways to one name every time we do one of these broadcasts. And um, so leave your name, where you're from there. But I'm going to ask you a question, and I want to hear from you all in that chat because we're talking about discipleship, disciple making. I'd love to hear from you. What is your definition of discipleship? in your church. And in the, in the second one, I'd love to hear from you is this, how do you know if you're successful? Like if, if making disciples is what the Lord has called us to do as the church, then you know the discipleship, what you're, what you're doing in your church is huge in, in terms of importance, but how do you know if you're successful? How do you know if you're making disciples? How can you check that box? Love to hear from you all. I'm going to jump on there with you. I'm going to give you my thoughts. So please answer that question. So I'm going to close out just a couple of thoughts that I had as well. As I've listened to you, Buck, as I've learned from you and other things that are happening across uh, the world, um, I see that there are uh, an emphasis on smaller groups. A lot of our churches here, um, and, and, and my perspective, and you've heard this before, is a balanced system. I believe that what the pastor does from the stage is huge. I believe it's critical that we've got to have that, that voice, that doctrinal instruction, that encouragement from the pastor that God's given to lead that church. I think it's huge. And then what we do in that small group and the smaller group and even the one-on-one -on -one time with Jesus, I think all of those levels. So I talk about a balanced approach. But when you look at overseas, there's an emphasis on these smaller groups because it is relational. That's one thing that I see as a, a, an area we can learn from in America. Also, reproducing there's an emphasis there. So when, when they're talking about making disciples and they're investing in people, um, I hear a lot of the discussion being that we tell them up front that we expect that not, to, not that you're just a believer, that you're going to invest, reinvest the gospel seed that was shared with you. You're going to share that with somebody else. That's an expectation that's given. Also intentional ministry. And I just see a lot of 
things in, in the churches that are overseas, the places that seem to be working that you're looking like, oh my goodness, that's incredible. How can they have that many people in these life change stories? Those people are involved in intentional touches in their community, um, intentional even with their, their own spouse and with their own children and in their church. Definitely a direction that we've got to learn from. And uh, one last one that I'd mentioned that you brought out a while ago, Buck, is that idea of a mentor. I just think it's huge. Man, I didn't have, I had, I had people that I look back at and say, these were mentors in my life, but it wasn't an intentional mentor. It was just people that I attached to because I knew I was jacked up and I needed help. I needed direction, right? So um, it, as far as our churches, if, if you're viewing today, I hope that you'll listen to this. I hope you'll think some of the, these through, these items that we can learn. And uh, let me just say a thanks to Buck Birch, our missions catalyst and friends. Listen, if you're um, looking for resources in the area of missions, they've got a Georgia Baptist Missions Facebook group. Love, and matter of fact, you've got one in every region, right, Buck? Mm -hmm. That's right. And we'd love for you to connect with them. If you're in Southeast region, connect with that Georgia Baptist Missions group so they can help to resource and encourage and inspire whatever they can do to help you. I'm telling you, these guys are top-notch top shelf. So buddy, thanks for coming on. Thanks for helping me think through some of these issues as a, as a Western thinker who's grown up in America and haven't spent, you know, years or even decade overseas. Thanks for helping me think through some of these issues. And we look forward to connecting more. And if you're watching today, thank you as well. Make sure to leave that comment and share this link. We want to connect more people to get resources out there and get other people's thoughts because we believe in the strength and the wisdom of the crowd as we are seeking to make disciple makers that change the world. See you soon.